Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Around the Corner Technology. And today I'm going to be talking about quantum computing with Scott Aronson. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for coming on the call. Um, you know, if you would, can you give listeners a brief intro of yourself and your background and, and what you're doing in this uh, in this area? Uh, okay. Well, uh, uh, so so I am a uh, professor of computer science at uh, the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, I just moved here this summer. Uh, before this, I uh, taught at MIT for nine years, and before uh, uh, that, I, uh, I studied computer science, I guess at Cornell and then Berkeley, and uh, um, uh, worked also at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton and in uh, uh, Waterloo, Canada. And uh, so, so I'm. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, interested uh, in, in what are the ultimate limits of computation? You know, what problems can we solve? Can we not solve uh, uh, with uh, with computers? Uh, what are the most powerful kinds of computers that we can build under the laws of physics? And uh, so that sort of forces me to study quantum computing. I have no choice. Okay. Well, yeah. First question. So what? Is it quantum computers? What is the most powerful type of computer that's been contemplated that we have a chance of building or are building right now? No, I I think that, uh, uh, you know, one reason to be interested in quantum computers is that uh, they are the most powerful kind of computer uh, based on, you know, uh, known laws of physics. Uh, you know, if there's if there's any more powerful kind of computer, it will have to sort of use physics that is yet to be discovered. And uh, you know, a, a quantum computer is not uh, sort of uh, uh, like the you know computers that we have today, but just you know a hundred times faster or a thousand times faster or something like that uh, because of uh, um, uh, changes in hardware. Right? It is a uh, uh, sort of a fundamentally different way of uh, harnessing nature to do computation. And uh, the, the result of that is that uh, for, uh, uh, for, for some problems, actually a quantum computer might not uh, help you much at all compared to a classical computer. Uh, might just be a, a much, much you know, more complicated and cumbersome way to uh, do the same thing. But for other types of problems, for problems that have the special kind of structure that a quantum computer can exploit, a quantum computer may be able to uh, do things in days or seconds that uh, with any uh, classical computer uh, and with any algorithm that we, we have today to run on those computers would require much, much longer than the age of the universe. Okay, so... It may, you know, let us, you know, do things feasibly that we would just have no hope of doing with, you know, any uh, uh, classical computers, no matter how uh, uh, fast they become. Well, let's go into some specifics. That always helps. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah. In your experience, what kind of com what kind of uh, computing problems are quantum computers best suited 
to attack and what's the range yeah. of the um, the order of magnitude difference in processing speed that's that's possible? Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, so, so, you know, which kinds of problems can a quantum computer help you for? Has been, you know, a question that uh, uh, this field has been intensively studying for the last uh, 25 years or so. And uh, there are a few major categories of problems that have emerged as uh, uh, as, as sort of the, the most promising application areas. So uh, the first application of quantum computers that anyone thought of, uh, in fact, you know, the one that uh, uh, Richard Feynman uh, uh, proposed in, in the 1980s when he first uh, suggested the idea of quantum computers is simply using them to simulate quantum mechanics itself, right? So, uh, you know, any kind of uh, a problem that involves, uh, 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 you know, uh, understanding the behavior of a uh, complicated molecule, you know, the reaction rate of a chemical reaction, uh, um, um, so uh, things like, uh, uh, you know, understanding how a drug binds to a receptor, uh, you know, maybe uh, designing uh, uh, high-temperature superconductors, understanding how they work, uh, uh, designing higher-efficiency solar cells, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, pretty much anything in material science, chemistry, uh, condensed matter physics, where uh, you have a, a large, you know, uh, number of particles interacting with each other and the uh, quantum effects are are important uh, is is you know is a is a is a good candidate for something where a quantum computer could help you. And okay. uh, tell the truth, if we if we get practical quantum computers, that 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 you know many of us expect that that would be the most important application that they have, at least at least the most important one economically, uh, because okay. we're probably very confident a quantum computer helps you there. And, you know, and there's just a huge range of applications across science. Uh, now, the maybe the most famous application of quantum computers, the one that really put the subject in, in the, into the news, was when uh, in 1994, uh, P, uh, Peter Shore uh, discovered that a quantum computer, uh, uh, if you don't want a, a full universal programmable quantum computer, uh, could be okay. used uh, to break uh, essentially all of the uh, uh, public key cryptography that we use today on the internet. Okay, so um, you know, so so that the uh, uh, you know, a, a, you know, anytime we order something online, you know, our credit card number is protected using a cryptographic code, right? And the types of codes that we use today are typically based on things like the the belief that factoring enormous numbers is a hard problem. Okay, so uh, so basically, like you know, you order something from Amazon, right? Your your computer is encrypting your credit card number uh, using a uh, gigantic composite number, but in such a way that it can only be decrypted by someone who knows the prime factors of the number, like let's say Amazon, because they chose the prime factors. You know, so it's so it's uh, so it's all based on the assumption that multiplying is is much easier than factoring. Okay, and this is this you know right. uh, uh, you know these these systems emerged in, in the 1970s and are now the basis for our electronic commerce. What sure well, let's, let's give a that, quick example. So, <clears throat> uh, cryptography that uses like SHA-256 
Oh. How long uh, would it take uh, a current computer to break it versus a quantum compu- computer potentially? Well, uh, well, okay. Well, 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 wait a minute. I'm trying. Uh, uh, the um, um, so so uh, so so let me let me just say the uh, uh, what 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 Shore showed is that is that in a world with quantum computers there is an efficient algorithm for uh, factoring. By, by which we mean, you know, a an algorithm that uses a number of steps that increases only quadratically with the length of the number to be factored. Okay, uh, whereas the best classical algorithms use uh, an amount of time that uh, increases exponentially. Actually, like you know, like uh, uh, an exponential in the cube root of the number of digits. Okay, but but still an exponential. Uh, so so. So the, so the quantum computer is not, you know, faster by some specific numerical factor. It's faster by an exponential factor, right? So by a factor that becomes more and more, you know, as the number that you're trying to factor gets larger. So, you know, so people have tried to, you know, come up with, with you know, concrete estimates of uh, um, the, uh, uh, you know, how much time, you know, you would need. For, you know, you know, that all depends on the specific design of your quantum computer, of course. But, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, it, you know, it looks like, uh, with, uh, you know, with, with it, with it, with enough effort, you know, it would be, uh, you know, feasible with a quantum computer, which, you know, initially it might be one that has to run for, for, you know, weeks or months. Okay. But, uh, you know, to, to factor, for example, a 2048 bit, uh, number, which, uh, is a, a a a key size you know that is that is uh, you know pretty far beyond anything that, that you could attempt today with a classical computer. Uh, so you know with a with a classical computer there is there is you know there is suspicion that uh, uh, partly based on the Snowden documents actually that the NSA um, uh, you know using uh, uh, you know very powerful computers that it has access to. You know, is able to factor thousand uh, twenty-four bit you know numbers or break thousand twenty-four bit uh, Diffie-Hellman, for example. But two thousand forty-eight bit, you know, using uh, any of the classical algorithms that we have today uh, would be out of reach uh, even for the NSA. You know, I mean, of course, unless they have you know algorithms that no one else knows about. Okay, but uh, but okay. with a quantum computer, you could do it, and then. You know, with just modestly more effort, you could do, you know, 4,096 bits. You know, you could factor numbers basically in whatever size you wanted. Okay, so it, it, it changes the entire status of the problem. It moves it from the infeasible into the feasible class. So, okay. so then, okay, and, and then uh, there are other applications of quantum computers that I would say are not as well established, but that are you know, being very much being uh, explored and investigated and have, uh, uh, you know, a lot of potential. Uh, so quantum computers uh, uh, can help uh, at least somewhat in solving uh, optimization problems uh, faster than a classical computer, right? There's this famous class of uh, what are called NP-complete or NP-hard problems, uh, like the uh, traveling salesman problem, or, you know, airline scheduling, you know, things like where you have to satisfy a whole bunch of different constraints. Uh, for those sorts of problems, uh, unlike for factoring, you know, we don't think that a quantum computer is going to give you an exponential advantage in general 
Okay, but there is uh, another quantum algorithm called Grover's algorithm, which can give you a square root advantage for these sorts of problems. So, you know, you can solve them in uh, like the square root of the number of steps that you would have needed uh, with a classical computer. And that, you know, roughly doubles the size of the uh, problem that you can handle. Right? Uh, uh, so, um, um, so uh, uh, you know, and, and, and it's quite possible that for special types of optimization problems, you could get an even bigger speed up, uh, perhaps even an exponential one. Uh, and then there's also hope that quantum computers might be able to help with uh, machine learning problems, uh, like uh, um, you know, recommendation systems, uh, clustering, um, support vector machines, uh, things like that. Uh, um, you know, are basically problems involving sort of you know doing uh, linear algebra in high-dimensional spaces. Uh, you know, the tricky thing with quantum algorithms is that, you know, it's only really interesting, you know, if you can not merely do something, but do it better than the best classical algorithm that anyone can devise uh, for the same task. Right? And classical algorithms are not a fixed target, right? So you may design a, uh, you know, a quantum computer that seems to do something faster, and then, and then the next day someone else may say, ah, oh, well, I can match that with a classical computer, right? And so for these for these, you know, machine learning and uh, an optimization type of tasks, right? We're not, we're not yet, you know, uh, uh, I think, you know, totally confident that we're going to get a quantum speed up because it's no one will be able to match classically. You know, and it remains a very, very active research subject. You know, you know, are there these right. speed ups, and and where should we look for them for quantum simulation and for factoring? You know, we're very, there. We're very, very confident that you know, if you can build the thing, then it will blow the fastest classical simulation out of the water. Gotcha. Um, so you're saying even if um, you know quantum computers aren't just a panacea, and you still need mm -hmm. to do efficient algorithms in computing, otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, they may not give you the benefits you want. That's 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 absolutely right. Yes, uh, I mean, quantum computing is not a panacea. That's one of the biggest you know, misconceptions that I have to, uh, you know, when I uh, uh, give public talks about this and so forth that I have to address, right? It is, you know, it's not a magic box that just tries every possible answer in parallel or something like that, right? It's, you know, the, the, the uh, we haven't gone into how it works, but the, uh, you know, reality of how it works is much more subtle and more interesting than that. And, you know, it, it can give you... Uh, huge advantages for, for certain special problems like factoring, which is an amazing fact. But you still, you know, you, have, you still have to think very, very hard about, you know, how to exploit the structure of those problems, how to design a quantum algorithm, you know, that takes advantage of the structure. So, uh, you know, so the need to think hard about algorithms is, is you know, is at least as great as it was in the classical world. So let's talk about how um, a quantum computer works. I guess the fundamental yeah, sure. portion is about a qubit. Maybe we can talk about, you know, what what quantum sure. effects does it use and how does it work? Yeah. So okay. So a, so a qubit is a a quantum bit, and uh, so it is a bit that can be in what we call a superposition state. Okay. So uh, you know, a classical bit, you know, is a, either a zero or a one. A, uh, a qubit can be in what we call a linear combination of a zero and a one. So uh, 
there's a certain uh, uh, number called an amplitude for being zero, and then there's another amplitude for being one, right? And the uh, the funny part is that if you measure a qubit and you ask it whether it's, you know, effectively whether it's zero or one, it will always tell you that it's one or the other, right? Uh, it will collapse, as we said. And, you know, it will either be definitely zero or definitely one. And, and, and using the amplitudes, uh, you can calculate the probability that you will see zero or that you will see one. Okay, but uh, when, you know, if you, if you don't make a measurement, then uh, these amplitudes uh, sort of have their, you know, have, uh, can, can change in time by, uh, by their own rules, which are very, very different from uh, the rules that we're familiar with in the, in the classical world. Okay, so this, so this gets into, you know, uh, what is quantum mechanics? You know, what does it say about the world, right? <laughs> you know, uh, at bottom, you know, a quantum computer is a, is a computer that would, you know, uh, exploit, uh, you know, uh, quantum mechanics, uh, you know, as that theory uh, has existed in the physics textbooks since 1926, right? So, 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 you know, so all the the physics here is is 90 years old, okay, but it's you know, it's very, very counterintuitive, you know, physics, and, and we're hoping to exploit it in a, you know, in a, in a way that it, that it hasn't really been exploited uh, ever before. So, uh, so the basic idea is this, um, you know, like, uh, you know, even in the classical world, we use probability all the time, right? I may have, you know, a, a, a bit where I'm uncertain whether it's zero or one, you know, so I would say it has some probability of being zero and some probability of being one. Right, I don't, I don't need quantum mechanics for that. Okay, but in the classical okay. world, a, prob a probability is always a real number from zero to one. Right, so I could talk about a 30% chance of rain tomorrow. I'd never talk about a negative 30% chance. You know, that would, that would just be nonsense. You know, much less... Uh, uh, you know, a square root of minus 1% chance or something like that. Okay, but in quantum mechanics, these amplitudes uh, can be positive or negative. And in fact, it can even be complex numbers. Okay, Ooh. and uh, the fact that, that these amplitudes don't have to be positive numbers is where all of the strangeness and all the novelty of quantum mechanics uh, ultimately comes from. Uh, because... Uh, what happens is if you want to find the probability that something will happen, that you will see some outcome when you, let's say, measure your qubit, uh, you have to add up uh, um, a, a, an amplitude for every possible way that that event could have happened, you know, that your system could have reached that state, okay? And if some of those paths uh, have sort of contribute uh, something positive to the amplitude and others contribute something negative to it, then all those different contributions could, uh, as we say, interfere destructively and cancel each other out, with the result being that the amplitude for that event is zero and the event doesn't happen at all. Okay, uh, so uh, whereas, well, you know, if all of the amplitudes, uh, say, are positive or if they're all negative, then they're going to reinforce each other, and they're going to give that outcome uh, a large probability of happening. 
Okay, so, uh, you know, this is famously illustrated in the double slit experiment where you shoot a, a photon of the screen with two slits in it, and you find that there are certain spots where it can never appear on a, on a second screen, where it just never ends up. And yet, if you close one of the slits, then the photon can appear. And there's places. Okay, so decreasing the number of paths that the photon can take to get somewhere actually increases the chance that it gets there. Okay, uh, and the reason, well, you know, like with everything else in quantum mechanics, the reason ultimately has to do with interference. Right? It's that when both slits are open, uh, one, you know, the you know the photon going through one slit contributes positive amplitude. The photon going through the other slit contributes negative amplitude, and so the two contributions cancel each other out. Uh, if you close one of the slits, then you get an amplitude that is positive or negative, and then the event can happen. Okay. So, I mean, this you know, is an unanswerable yeah. question, but why? Well, I mean, I know there's the, Heis right? the Heisenberg uncertainty principle yeah. where, you know, once you measure something, you disturb it. But but why right. can it well, be in these different states, and why is it a default to well, one when you measure it? Right. Well, 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 the thing that I'm telling you, I think, is more fundamental than the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Right. The, you know, the uncertainty principle is, you know, like uh, everything else in quantum mechanics is a, is a logical consequence of, of what I'm telling you now, which is that... Okay. The, you know, each possible way that a system could be has some complex number attached to it called an amplitude. Okay. And these, uh, uh, you know, and, and the Schrodinger equation, which is this defining equation of quantum mechanics, tells you how these amplitudes, you know, change in time. Now, why should the world, you know, have been based on amplitudes, you know, and not on classical probabilities? Well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, 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 punt and say that question is above my pay grade. Okay, but uh, you know, except, except except that you know, I think that if I were God, I would also you know uh, uh, enjoy complex numbers and uh, you know and maybe okay. find them find them nicer, more more elegant than than, than not negative real numbers. <laughs> so, uh, uh, right. So, yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, people have argued for a century about, you know, what does quantum mechanics mean? Uh, you know, why should the world have been quantum mechanical? Can we derive quantum mechanics from some deeper principle? You know, is quantum mechanics, you know, universally true, or is it only an approximation to some deeper theory? Those are all sure. enormous questions. You know, I think that, the, you know, those, those questions are always at the back of our mind as we, you know, uh, think about quantum computing. After all, a quantum computer would be, a, you know, a whole new way of testing uh, quantum mechanics itself, you know, and verifying that it really is true in this whole new regime where, we, where we've never really seen it before. Okay, but, uh, you know, in the meantime, you know, in, you know, in addition to understanding the weirdness, we can also sort of put the weirdness to work, you know, and uh, use it to do things for us. And, I, and in fact, you know, maybe understanding what this weirdness, you know, uh, uh, is and isn't useful, you know, for providing us do will feed back and help us understand the weirdness better, right? And and I think you know these 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 are the reasons, frankly, why why many of us became interested in this field. 
Okay, so because of superposition, mm-hmm. what's the consequence of that in the computing sense? Sure. What, what does that Absolutely. specifically allow you Absolutely. to do? So yeah. So okay. So 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 the basic idea with a quantum computer is that it's like a you know a, a double slit experiment at large. So what you try to do is uh, uh, in every quantum algorithm is uh, choreograph things in such a way that for each wrong answer to your computational problem, some of the contributions to its amplitude are positive and others are negative, so that on the whole they cancel each other out. Okay, whereas for the right answer, you would like all of the amplitudes to be in, or all the contributions to be in phase with each other. Okay, and if you can arrange for that to happen, then when you measure the computer at the end, the right answer will be observed with a high probability, like, for example, the factors of your number. Okay, the, uh, the, the challenging part is that you have to arrange for that to happen despite not knowing in advance which answer is the right one, which, of course, would, would make the whole exercise pointless. Okay, so, um, uh, but, you know, but, but, but one, you know, important thing to, to keep in mind is that, you know, if we're talking about let's say, a 1,000 quantum bits, a 1,000 qubits, right? Then the rules of quantum mechanics say that there's an amplitude for every uh, possible configuration of all thousands of those bits, of which there are two to the thousandth power, okay? Two to the thousandth power is much more than the number of uh, subatomic particles that there are in the whole visible universe, Okay, and, and you know that the rules of quantum mechanics say that just to maintain the state of those particles, you know, nature somehow needs to keep track of two to the thousand uh, uh, complex numbers. Okay, that is that is what quantum mechanics says. So it, so right. so it's sort of you know we've we've known people have known from the beginning that sort of quantum mechanics sort of you know asserts that that the world has to invest a staggering amount of computational effort, you know, just to keep track of a, you know, a small number of particles, okay? But the, uh, uh, you know, the idea of quantum computing is to sort of turn that lemon into lemonade, right? You know, to, uh, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, woe is us, because, you know, this makes quantum mechanics so hard to simulate with any of our existing computers, which is something that chemists and physicists have grappled with for decades, right? Uh, you know, let's let let us build a computer that itself will take advantage of this sort of you know vast number of amplitudes that the, that the theory says uh, are there. Okay, now you know, so that so that's the hope, that's the basic idea. The tricky part is that you only ever see an advantage from this sort of immense uh, uh, you know list of amplitudes if you can arrange for interference to happen, if you can arrange for, you know, uh, uh, um, all of the amplitudes that, that, you know, for, for the outcomes that you don't want to be small because of interference, uh, destructive interference, and the amplitude for the outcome that you do want to be large because of constructive interference. You know, and as I said, it's only for special problems like factoring numbers that we've really figured out how to do that. Are you are you saying? I mean, this is a stupid question, but are you saying there's there's evidence that nature computes things it, that it must in order for certain things to happen? Well, 
Well, I'm, well, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, like people get into arguments about like, is nature a computer or not, right? And you know, I, I think that that maybe, uh, um, you know, one, 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 you know, the, 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 the my, my favorite point of view about that uh, is to, uh, um, is uh, you know, is to ask, well, 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 what is it that nature would have to do in order to not be a computer? <laughs> uh, because okay. you know, the, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, the the entire you know uh, 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 idea of physics, you know, going back to Galileo and Newton, right, is that you know the world has some state, right? You know, the, you know, there is some information that specifies the current state of the world, right? In classical physics, it's the position and momentum of all the particles. Right, and then if you know that state, then you can calculate what will the future state be, right? And so, sort of any physical theory, to the extent that it's a physics theory at all, sort of you know uh, treats the universe as being some kind of computer, right? I think that that's just sort of inherent to the project of physics itself, right? Uh, but then you know where it becomes interesting is when we ask, well, you know, what kind of, of computation are we talking about, right? Is it a classical one? Is it a quantum one? Is it digital? Is it analog? You know, how many bits does it involve? Can we simulate it using the kind of standard digital computers that we have on our desk? You know, and uh, if we, um, uh, you know, if, if we wanted to do that, you know, how, how efficient can the simulation be? And I think, you know, those, those, are, those are all uh, you know, very profound questions. Uh, but um, um, yeah. So, so uh, um, I was going to say something else. Uh, um, uh, yeah. I, okay. So, so you know, I should I should say that in 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 you know in computer science, right? We have a much much broader conception of what you know computation is. Than just you know what is done by a microchip, right? You know, sort of any system that has some rules and that evolves in a rule governed way can be considered to be some kind of computation. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Another question is maybe you know yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally in line with the discussion. You know, I, I guess Newtonian mechanics governs the large scale, and quantum mechanics governs the small scale. What about the interface of the two? What, where does that happen? And have scientists study, studied the transition from one set of mechanics to another? And can you observe uh, that? Yeah. All right. Well, I think you're talking about the you know, the, the measurement problem, right? Or which is the you know or, or you know the sort of central uh, uh, puzzle, I guess, about quantum mechanics that people have argued about for almost a century, right? So you should say, you know, uh, the, the, the modern point of view would say that the world is quantum mechanical, right? Quantum mechanics is the fundamental reality, you know, of, of, of the world. And classical physics has to be derived out of it as, you know, some sort of, you know, approximation, okay, uh, that, you know, that works well in, in certain circumstances, right? And, uh, you know, the the... You know the the basic uh, uh, you know idea about how that's supposed to happen is uh, something called decoherence. Okay, and what decoherence uh, 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 says is basically 
you know, quantum systems are, are never perfectly isolated from their external environments. Okay, and you know, whenever you, you have a you know a quantum system, right? You know, I, I said it's described by this gigantic list of amplitude. Okay, but that's sort of what the system does as long as it's, you know, in private, okay, as long as no one is looking or the system is not interacting with anything else. Uh, when the uh, system interacts with its external environment, then, uh, as we say, it becomes entangled with the environment, okay? And entanglement uh, between a system and its environment has the effect of sort of uh, making the system look like it is classical again, right? Uh, so, Instead of like a qubit being a superposition of zero and one, you know there is now uh, uh, two two cases. The qubit is zero, and the external environment has recorded that it's zero. Or the qubit is one, and the external environment has recorded that it's one. But in the first case, the qubit will just look like a zero, and in the second case, it will just look like a one. So so in in neither case will it behave like a, any more like a superposition of the two. Okay, so that's the, that's the basic idea of decoherence. Okay, now, the, 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 the big problem, the thing that causes people to argue about this day is that if you really take this seriously and really, you know, pursue it to uh, what seems like its logical conclusion, then, uh, you know, the, the conclusion would seem to be that, that, you know, that we too should be in superposition states and, you know, when we make a measurement of a quantum system, what should really be going on is just that there are, you know, two branches of the universe, right, each one with some amplitude, and one of them, the, you know, the qubit is zero, and we measured it to be zero, and in the other branch, the qubit is one, and we measured it to be one, okay? Hmm. So, uh, so, so, the, so the decoherence process should have just entangled us with the qubit. Right, and and thereby split us into different parallel copies of ourselves. Okay, so so you're led to a view where the whole universe is constantly splitting into more and more parallel copies. You know, you know, we really uh, perceive you know being in one of the copies, right? And you know, the theory predicts that, just like you know, it predicts that we don't uh, we don't feel you know the Earth spinning, even though it is spinning. Right, and uh, you know we would not be able to contact any of the other copies, but you know, but the theory would, would seem to force them to be there. Okay, so, so this so this leads you to what's called the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, uh, and uh, you know the the uh, uh, the you know the, the you know it, it sounds like science fiction. It sounds crazy. I think that uh, uh, you know that you know you know I, the only is that many worlds is almost the conservative view of quantum mechanics, right? It's the one that just oh. takes, you know, that just takes this theory literally without trying to add anything to it or change it in, in any way, right? Now, there are okay. other people who, who say this, this is just absurd and this is not acceptable, right? And, you know, the, the founders of quantum mechanics, like Bohr and Heisenberg, were, were, were among such people, okay? But, but, uh, but if you don't want that, then you have to say something additional about, well, what is going to, you know, where is the buck going to stop, right? Where is this superposition principle going to stop applying? And when is something new going to come in to force there to just be only one possibility and, you know, and make all of the others go away, 
Right. So it's possible that there could be some new principle of physics that we haven't discovered yet that would say that when a system gets big enough or complicated enough or something like that, then nature somehow just collapses the superposition and randomly picks one of the possible aspects. Okay. Uh, um, this would be called dynamical collapse. So uh, uh, there are proposals right. like that. No, you know, no one, no one has uh, 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 found the evidence for that yet. You know, it's possible that building a quantum computer, you know, would help us test, you know, quantum mechanics and possible places where it could break down and where where collapse could happen. You know, but uh, um, but uh, uh, you know, so you know, and and then. Uh, you know, and, th and then there's sort of, I'd say, the great majority of physicists who just choose not to worry about any of this at all because, you know, it doesn't, right. it doesn't affect them when they, when they go and measure in the lab. Okay. But, uh, all right. Well, you know, well but, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah but I don't want to question you too much, but I guess last last question because, okay. you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're getting a lot of info here. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's just talk about uh, entanglement specifically. How is that? Uh, going to be used in quantum computing. Let's talk about this one last piece, and then yeah. we'll, we'll end okay, there. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah. So, so okay. So, so what I talked about before was sort of a uh, 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 bad entanglement, right? You know, bad entanglement is when a quantum computer becomes entangled with its external environment, okay? and and that has the effect. You know, it is as if the quantum computer has been measured. And if you know its state has been forced down to a fanciful, you know, uh, possibility. So, uh, uh, so that bad uh, entanglement or decoherence is actually the central difficulty with trying to build a practical quantum computer. Right? You have to uh, you have to avoid your quantum computer becoming entangled with anything external to itself. You know, while it's running. You know, but at the same time. The qubits within the quantum computer have to all be interacting with each other, okay? Uh, you know, in order to carry out the computation, and uh, you know, as they interact with, you know, with each other, you know, they will produce a quantum state, which is not just a state of you know each of the qubits individually, okay, but is uh, is uh, you know the state of all of them together, right? So, like, for example, there might be some amplitude for all of the qubits to be zero. There might be some other amplitude for all of the qubits to be one, you know, and just knowing that one of the qubits is zero would change your knowledge about the other qubit, right? If, 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 if that is the case, then that, that's when we say the qubits are entangled, okay? And, uh, and in general, a, you know, a quantum computer, because it would, you know, have to create all of these, these delicate interactions between, you know, uh, 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 many different qubits would, in general, create an entangled state. So, you know, uh, you know a very, very to, to, you know, so in order to sort of, ex you know, I could, um, you know, uh, lecture for hours to explain how a quantum algorithm works, you know, and prove that it does work and, and that it gets an advantage, and, you know, and so forth without ever saying a word about entanglement, right? But entanglement will be there. It will be something that's just, you know, there for the ride, right? It's just a statement. Okay. As we carry out this computation, yes, our qubits are, you know, do have to become quantum mechanically correlated with each other. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so last question. What 
what's possible now or in the next year or so, and what's fantasy in the world of quantum uh, computing? Well, uh, okay, so we already talked about some fantasy things. You know, I mean, solving um, um, NP-complete problems in poly, you know, uh, efficiently, you know, in, in general with a quantum computer. I think, you know, by just trying every answer in a, you know, in a different uh, parallel world, you know, I think that we, uh, you know, I think that's fantasy, right? Uh, uh, you know, I guess you can create a quantum computer that has a uh, superposition over all the possible answers to a problem. The trouble is that if you measure it, not having done anything else, then you're just going to see a random answer, right? And if you just wanted a random answer, well, you could have picked one yourself with a lot less trouble. Okay, so uh, so that you know, the only way you can hope for an advantage is uh, you know again by exploiting uh, interference. Okay, so uh, uh, by uh, by by now, you know, uh, in terms of what you know uh, we'll be able to do and when, you know, well, you know, so I, I I try not to make predictions about you know the number of years until such and such. I mean, guys, you know. For, for God's sakes, I don't even know how much longer civilization is going to last. Okay, especially not you know uh, uh, you know after you know events of two months ago. Okay, but uh, but um, uh, but 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 I'm, I'm one thing that I'm optimistic about is uh, that we uh, you know in in the relatively near future we'll be able to demonstrate a clear quantum advantage. Okay. You know, I don't say something useful. Uh, just, just you know, something that is classically hard. Uh, and so this goal of basically just demonstrating, you know, the reality of a quantum separation, you know, a quantum advantage for some contrived task. Uh, this, you know, is, uh, goes under the name of quantum supremacy. Okay. And uh, so this is, I think, a major milestone uh, for the field that... Uh, some of the best experimentalists are aiming for, uh, including a, a group at Google uh, right now. They're they're aiming to build a device with uh, 40 or 50 qubits, you know, that will be able to be very entangled with each other, uh, you know, and they claim that they'll be able to do that within a year or so. Uh, now it might be, you know, several years, but you know, I think that that's that's something that is that is on the the near term horizon. And when we have 40 or 50 sort of high-quality uh, interacting qubits, then, you know, that's probably not yet enough to do anything useful. But that, that should already be enough to see a clear quantum advantage for some, you know, contrived task involving, you know, simulating, you know, uh, 40 or 50 qubits themselves, you know. And uh, um, what... Now, yeah. How how hard would it be to construct a um a machine that has a million or a billion qubits, and what do you uh, what would that be able to do uh, if it existed? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, so so if you if you want to go you know like way beyond that, let's say you know two hundred qubits, two thousand qubits, something like that. Uh, eventually, uh, you need to use uh, techniques that are called quantum error correction, right? And this this is you know sort of the you know, you could think of as the major bottleneck, right? Because the issue is that this decoherence, this sort of leaking out, you know, the qubits into their external environment, right? You can never get it down to zero, okay? And 
So, uh, uh, you know, and, and because you can't get it down to zero, there were people in the 90s who said, well, quantum computing can never scale, right? You'll only be able to get up to a certain size and, you know, and never beyond that. Okay, but what changed uh, almost everyone's view was a big discovery, uh, you know, in the, the mid to late 90s called uh, quantum error correction, quantum fault tolerance. And what this said is that if you can get the decoherence to be low enough, then uh, you can actually encode quantum information that you care about using very, very clever error correcting codes in such a way let's say if any 1% or 2% of your qubits uh, are to fail or to leak into their environment, well, your information is still safe. It's still encoded in the other qubits. Okay, and so, so, so that sort of, you know, set the, the experimental agenda for the field to sort of just get, you know, physical qubits that are of good enough quality so you can start doing these error-correcting codes and start, you know, having the error correction actually improve things rather than making them worse, okay? And so, so that's, that's sort of the, you know, there's sort of a break-even point that you have to get to where, you know, we're not quite there yet. Uh, but, uh, but, but if you look at, you know, um, like the group at Google or other groups, you know, what they can do with one or two qubits in isolation is already beyond the threshold. It's good enough for, for the for this quantum error correction. Okay, the trouble is that as you try to integrate more and more qubits, they have crosstalk between each other, which pushes the error rates back up. Okay, but uh, but uh, but people are you know you know the the, the qubits that people have today are just an order of magnitude better quality than the qubits that they had you know 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Okay, so if they continue to improve along that sort of trajectory, then they will get to the point where you can do these quantum error correcting codes. And at that point, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the idea is that you have scalability. So in other words, you can, you know, now, now it's just a matter, you know, if you want, you know, uh, uh, a thousand times as many qubits, well then, you know, that just causes, costs a thousand times as much as, as one qubit, right? You know, and you just you just uh, uh, you know build a quantum computer that is as large as you need for your application. You know, have a billion qubits or, or whatever number is needed. At that point, uh, you would be able to do um, anything that that quantum computing can do at all. So you know, you would have what we call a universal quantum computer, just like the machines on our desks are universal classical computers. Okay, so then any of the things that we've talked about. Uh, you know, uh, quantum simulation, uh, breaking cryptography, you know, factoring huge numbers, uh, the uh, optimization problems, you know, machine learning problems. You know, if there's any quantum algorithms, you know, to do that at all, then that device would be able to do it. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to question you anymore. You've given a lot of information, okay. and I appreciate okay. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Sure. How can yeah, um, no people that how can people uh, find your public talks and find out oh, more information uh, about quantum uh, computing uh, well, from you? Okay, well, 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 you know there are uh, various videos on YouTube uh, giving talks. Uh, I also I write a blog, uh, scottaronson.com/blog, and uh, that you know uh, 
has a sidebar with uh, lots of quantum computing primers uh, that have it both that I've written and that other people have written. Uh, I have a book which is called Quantum Computing Since Democritus. Uh, you know, I have lecture notes uh, from my uh, courses that are available on my webpage. Wow. Uh, yeah, so there's you know there's actually lots of uh, you, know, uh, not, you know not just me but from a lot of people. There's actually very very good online resources about quantum computing. Yeah. Okay, well very good, sir. I appreciate mm-hmm. you taking the time. Sure, no problem. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.